Well, good morning, High Life. Uh, welcome to our broadcast this morning. I hope you're excited. Um, every time in God, we should be excited because the joy of the Lord is our strength in every phase of life. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. So we always have reason to rejoice. The Bible says in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God through Christ Jesus concerning you. People ought to be able to predict what you're going to be like every single day. Um, because consistently we should exude the joy of the Lord. It is so great to be alive. It's so great to be um, in the community of the saints. It's so great to be uh, in our country uh, at this time. Well, as you know, um, we have been uh, spending quite a bit of time looking at uh, the distinction that God is building in his people. He's building a people of distinction, and we're looking at this tripod um, which is made up of three legs, uh, the first being a distinction of character. He's growing us into the character of Christ. Uh, and then we're going to look at the distinction of presence. He wants to manifest his presence through us in a powerful way. And then, of course, the, um, the distinction of government. Um, the Bible says that the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. And, he, and the government will be upon his shoulders. The shoulders are part of the body. So the body of Christ is going to be the place through which uh, the government of God is manifested. You know, we looked last week at the verse of Scripture in Ephesians 1, uh, the Message Bible translation that says that the church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. It is in the church that the Lord speaks and acts, and it is through the church that he fills everything with his presence. You know, I'm so excited uh, about us talking about the government of God through the church. But first things first, uh, we've been speaking about distinction of character. Uh, and last week, I started talking about the fruit of distinction. And I'm going to continue that uh, this week and probably continue, uh, conclude that next Sunday. But before I get into the word this morning, uh, I have an exciting announcement. One of the things we'd like to do at High Life as part of our teaching is also to be doing a book study. And by book study, I don't mean a book of the Bible. I mean um, a text or a book that has been written that we consider to be inspired um, and um, you know, has sound doctrine and information. A few months ago, we did a study on the final quest by Rick Joyner. And what a, what a rewarding time that was. Well, in a few weeks, we're going to have another book study, and we're starting uh, officially a High Life book club. So there will always be a book that we're studying in line with the theme that we're teaching on on Sundays and in all the house churches. So I'm giving you a heads up now. It's important to join the book club now. We're, we're starting officially in a couple of weeks, but uh, you want to get ahead of the curve. You want to join now. Uh, when you join, you'll get all the details of... Um, you know, of uh, procedures, and the book, the book club is free, okay, uh, apart from the fact that you, of course, have to buy the book, uh, but we'll find the easiest ways you can buy the book anywhere you are in the world. Well, uh, wait for it, drum roll, please. Doo -doo 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 -doo. Um, well, the book we're going to start um, with this time as part of um, the, this aspect of distinction of character is an exciting book I came across a few months ago. Uh, and it's called Unpunishable, Unpunishable, written by Danny Silk. So we're going to be studying that book starting in a few weeks, but you can join the book club right now. Go to our website, 
highleftchurch.com or the highleftworld uh, or highleftworld.org and um, and uh, sign up, join up, and and start reading the book, uh, and then we'll get started um, officially in a couple of weeks. Well, I hope you're excited, and I hope you're ready for the word, because I am. Let us bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're so thankful for, uh, for the fact that we're in the body of Christ. Lord, we're thankful because we know that um, your love is demonstrated to us through revelation. You, 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 you reveal things to us because you love us. And you love us, Father, as much as you love the Lord Jesus. So just like the Son did all things that he saw and was revealed to by the Father, we also do all things through revelation. So as we go into the Word, we ask for the Spirit of God to light our candles and enlighten our darkness. The Bible says that the Spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. So Lord, come and enlighten our spirits this morning. Come us through the spirit of wisdom and revelation in your knowledge. We're not just interested in knowing about you. We're interested in knowing you. Like the Apostle Paul said, uh, our desire is to be progressively acquainted with you, uh, perceiving and understanding the wonders of your person even deeper and brighter. Holy Spirit, come and help us this morning. Uh, uh, inspire us. Reveal Christ to us uh, like you have been sent to do. We give you thanks, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've been talking about the distinction of um, uh, the fruit of distinction. We've been talking about the fruit of distinction. And uh, so we learned some important things last week. You know, I'd like to do a recap just to remind you. And for those who um, haven't watched uh, the, the teaching from last week, it's my way of giving you a, you know, a gentle nudge uh, to go back to our, uh, our YouTube uh, uh, channel, um, and you can check out our, our playlist on the uh, People of Distinction. It has all the messages that we've taught on this subject. So um, we, we began to, to see some important things last week, and every message is a building block for the next. Uh, and one of the things we established last week is that whenever um, we receive an instruction in the Bible um, to be strong. Every admonition in Scripture where it says we should be strong, it is an admonition to draw our strength from Christ. Okay? It is never an admonition to be strong in ourselves. Okay? We saw in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, where Paul, speaking to Timothy, uh, said he should be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, so we, we spent uh, quite a bit of time establishing um, the understanding of that. Our strength is not in ourselves. Our strength is in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So every admonition in the word to be strong is an admonition to draw our strength from Christ. Now, it doesn't leave us there um, because he, he goes on to explain how we can draw our strength from Christ. And we, we, we looked at that last week, and we'll, we'll be looking at it in a bit more depth this morning. The other thing we learned um, was really from Philippians 2, verse 12 to 13, where it talks about uh, working out our salvation with fear and trembling, because it is God that's at work in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And what we learned is that the ultimate conclusion of our salvation the ultimate conclusion of our salvation 
is not going to heaven. That's not the conclusion of our salvation. The ultimate conclusion of our salvation is to come to a place of full maturity, of full maturity, uh, because God has ordained that we be conformed to the image of his son. And in Philippians 2, 12 to 13, looking at it from the Wiest translation, um, it says the ultimate conclusion of our salvation is full maturity. And we must, we must work this out with fear and trembling. Yes, I know that I'm, I'm doing a recap, but I'd like to remind you again by reading the Passion Translation of Philippians 2, verse 12. I really like how this translation renders it. It says, My beloved ones, just like you've always listened to everything I taught you in the past, I'm asking you now to keep following my instructions as though I was right there with you. Now you must continue to make this new life manifested in you um, as you live in holy awe uh, of God. You must continue to make this new life fully manifested as you live in holy awe of God, which brings you trembling into his presence. God will continually revitalize you, implanting within you the passion to do what he pleases. So we see that this life is meant to be fully manifested. That is the conclusion of our salvation. That is the purpose of our salvation. That is the full manifestation for that life to be fully manifested in maturity. He says we should do this in holy awe of God, which brings trembling into his presence. But then he says God will continually revitalize you. Okay, the, the reason why we can fully manifest, manifest this life is as we walk in cooperation to God who is revitalizing us on the inside out, um, giving us the power, giving us the energy to do his will. The energy comes from him, not ourselves, but we need to cooperate with him. The third thing we looked at or we learned was really in John 15, which was really our text from last week. In John 15, the Lord baptizes us into understanding of the process of fruitfulness in his kingdom. He says he's the vine and the father is the farmer and we are the branches. He is the vine, the father is the farmer and we are the branches. Now we learned three things from there. The first is that Jesus is in love with you. Wow. Just say that to yourself. Jesus is in love with me. That was the first thing we learned, and that's the foundation of fruitfulness. Understanding that Jesus is in love with us, and we must allow his love to nourish our hearts. We must allow his love to nourish our hearts. In John 15 verse 9, he says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide, abide, abide in my love. You know, there's nothing like validation. There's nothing like, um, like acceptance um, as being the ideal environment for growth and development. You know, the Passion Translation of verse 9 puts it this way. It says, I love each of you 
with the same love that the Father loves me. You must continually let my love nourish your hearts. You know, sometimes I repeat myself. I do it a lot, actually, and I do that because, you know, I just think it's just, it's just so wonderful and bears repetition. I mean, Jesus is clearly articulating the truth. Let that truth wash over our hearts. He says, I love each of you, each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. He says, you must continually let my love nourish your hearts. doesn't matter how many times you fall. Understand that he loves you as much as the Father loves him. He loves you as much as the Father loves him. That is the greatest encouragement that you can have as a human being. That is the greatest encouragement you can have as a child of God. That you can always get up. You can always get up because you have the love, the endorsement of your Father. We must be established in this understanding of his love for us. We must move forward in him from this place of being loved and accepted. He is the vine and he supplies us with everything we need to be fruitful because he loves us. That's the reason why we, we will be fruitful. That's the reason why we can be fruitful. Because, because of his love, he is generous with his supply. Just like a vine is generous with the supply of life to the branches. That was the first thing we learned in John 15. We are loved by the Lord and we must allow that love to nourish your heart. It doesn't matter if you don't even know him right now. He knows who you are. He knows where you're at. He knows exactly what you're going through. Understand that in your situation, God loves you. And he loves you too much to let you stay as you are. He makes the supply of heaven available to you so that his purpose, which is um, a purpose of good and not evil, uh, will be fulfilled in your life. So even right now where you are today, uh, you may have walked away from the Lord. And I speak by the Holy Spirit. I believe this applies to somebody. You may have walked away from the Lord. Before we move forward in this meeting, I just want you to pause and just speak to him and say, Jesus, I accept your love. I accept your forgiveness. I ask for your strength because I have no strength in myself. Do that right now and see what the Lord will do in your life, even right now. You see how that fear that you've been having will melt away. You'll see how that burden you've been carrying will melt away because the Lord himself will come into your room and he would, he would, he would through his power, uh, uh, cause the forces of darkness that have been arrayed against your soul to flee even right now. Do that right now in the name of Jesus. So that's the first thing we learned in John 15. And then we began to look at the fruit. The, it says that as the, as the branch uh, uh, abides, abides in the vine um, and bears fruit, that is the way you will bear fruit as well. The fruit of the vine is the fruit of the Spirit because he said, I am the vine. So any fruit that's coming from the branches um, is the fruit of the Lord or the fruit of the Spirit. Now, um, it is called the fruit of the Spirit. It is called the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of human effort. It is called the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of human effort. And this is to illustrate that it is not a manifestation of what is humanly possible. 
It is not the result of developing your human virtues to a place of maturity and excellence. No, that's not what it is. It is not a manifestation of what is humanly possible, and therefore it is not a result of self-effort. It is a manifestation of divine life. It is the fruit of the vine, the fruit of the spirit. It is a manifestation of divine life. Its manifestation will therefore demonstrate a quality of expression that is beyond what is humanly possible. Every manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit, when you examine its quality, it is an expression of something that goes beyond what is humanly possible. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. And the point of this is the understanding that we must rely on the Spirit, not ourselves, because you can't produce this yourself. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, Peter, by the um, anointing of the Holy Spirit, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes this statement. He says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. As he also who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Everyone see all your conduct. All your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. You know, holiness is really a, a fundamental attribute of God because holiness um, speaks about perfection of moral purity and distinction. Perfection of moral purity and distinction. It is this perfection and distinction in everything that God is and does that causes the seraphim to celebrate and declare for all eternity about his holiness. You know, the Bible says in Isaiah 6 that the seraphim cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, the earth is full of his glory. And when they say, when they cry, holy, 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 as they look at God, it is a natural response because every moment of eternity, they are seeing um, the perfection, different aspects of his moral purity and distinction. Now, to eliminate all doubt regarding what he expects from us, from us, he commands us uh, through the Apostle Peter to demonstrate this level of perfection, of moral purity and distinction in the same way that God does. Now, now, this is what God has ordained for us. But you will agree with me that this is humanly impossible in our own strength. It's humanly impossible in our own strength. But it is expected of us because we are branches connected to the life of the vine. And that leads us to the third thing we learned from John 15. Because when we recognize that the quality of this fruit is beyond what human virtue can achieve. It will now help us to understand what Jesus said in John 15 verse 5 when he said, without me, you can do nothing. There can be no fruitfulness from you without being connected to me because the fruit of the Spirit is the manifestation of divine life. It is not the result 
of human effort, okay? So it is fruit that we're called to manifest, but we can only do it one way. We can only do it with him. So our total dependence on him by reliance on the work of the Holy Spirit within us is the only key to the manifestation of this quality of life. Yeah, that's the only way. Our total dependence on him, our total reliance on the work of the Holy Spirit. That is the only key to the manifestation of this quality of life. It is only through our union with him that any of this is not only possible, but is guaranteed, all right? Because Jesus in John 15 talks about bearing fruit, talks about the Father pruning us to bear more fruit, and then talks about the Father being glorified when we bear much fruit. So he guarantees that not only will we be fruitful, but we'll be so fruitful that it causes glory to the Father and celebration in the earth when we begin to manifest the, the, the life of God in the fruit of the Spirit as we follow the protocol of fruitfulness as outlined by the Lord himself in John 15. So dependence on Jesus for everything, it removes all self-consciousness from our walk. And it expands hope, it expands faith, it expands courage, it expands vision. Because when you are dependent on Christ, like Galatians 2.20 says, with Christ I have been crucified. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. When our dependence is on Christ and not on ourselves, then what happens is we are filled with hope. We are filled with faith. We are filled with courage. We are filled with vision about what is possible because it's no longer about our limitation, but about the limitlessness of God. So now that we have established the quality and source of the fruit of the Spirit, what we're going to start doing this week is we're going to start looking at the nature of the fruit. The nature of the fruit. But before I go into that, um, I'd like to establish why we are examining the nature of the fruit. Let's turn to um, Philemon verse 6. Philemon only has one chapter, and um, we're going to look at verse 6. And, and, and that would be, should I say, like... Uh, a key verse of scripture for this study as we go into looking at the fruit of the Spirit. I read from the New King James Version. It says that the sharing of your faith will become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ. The sharing of your faith will become effective. Will become effective. The sharing of your faith will become effective. This is how we become effective, by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ. Uh, the Amplified Version puts it this way. It says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective and powerful because of your accurate knowledge, accurate knowledge of every good thing which is ours in Christ. Now, I want us to... Um, um, you know, just break that verse down a little bit 
and, and examine it in a little bit of detail. It says the sharing of your faith. Now, the word sharing there is the Greek word koinonia, which in other places is, um, is translated fellowship, the fellowship of your faith. Um, it, it's koinonia. And, you know, fellowship speaks about and uh, is like a, a communion and intermingling. Uh, uh, one person once defined it as the intermingling of intimacy that is total. It speaks about, uh, about intimacy with something, okay? It, it says the, the sharing or the fellowship of your faith will become effective. That word effective is energia. Uh, it, it, it's, it's energy, okay? There will be a powerful manifestation um, of your faith. Um, so you, the fellowship with truth will produce a powerful manifestation. As you fellowship with the truth, as you fellowship, as you commune with the truth, it produces a powerful manifestation. And it says, this happens by. You see, this is how we fellowship. This is how we fellowship with the truth that produces powerful manifestation. It says you fellowship with this truth that produces a powerful manifestation by, by, by. How, does, how, does, how do you fellowship with this truth? By the acknowledgement of every good thing that is in you in Christ. Now, if we don't acknowledge, if we don't do this, nothing happens. It says in order for the for your faith to be effective, in order for there to be a powerful manifestation of your faith, it will only happen by the acknowledgement of every good thing in you in Christ. Now this suggests that every good thing that is in Christ is already in you. Every good thing that is in Christ is already in you. But in order to produce it or manifest it, you must first acknowledge it. Okay? You must first acknowledge it. You acknowledging your faults does not produce a powerful manifestation of the power of your faith. That is not how it's done. It says... It is by the acknowledging, not of your faults, but of every good thing in you in Christ. Now, this does not mean that you deny your faults, all right? But it does mean that for your life to be transformed, it would only become transformed by what you behold. We've already established that from 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, in order for change to happen, you must see every good thing in Christ. And then see all the same good things in you. Why? Because he's in you. You know, as, um, as, we, as I quoted earlier on about, uh, from Galatians 2.20, that says, with Christ I've been crucified. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So my faith is not in myself. My faith is in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My dependence is not in myself. My dependence is in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is where 
I must look. That is where I must focus. And it is those attributes in him that I must acknowledge. You know, the Bible makes it clear. In 1 John 3 verse 2, for instance, there are a lot of verses about this. It says, but it says, beloved, now we are the children of God. It is not yet revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, this is not a verse about just what is going to happen when Jesus comes um, at the rapture and at his second coming. It's showing us a principle. It says that we will be like him because we will see him as he is. So every time we see him as he is, we become what we see. You see, the Jesus you see in you is the Jesus you will manifest. The Jesus you see in you. And that's why it says that revelation, as, as, uh, as revelation comes, uh, and as we see him for who he is, as we see the good thing in him which is in us, um, that is when, and, and, and as we commune with that, and we acknowledge that, that is when that, there will be a powerful manifestation of that in our lives. You know, in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17, it says that, but he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Uh, the Passion puts it this way. It says, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is mingled into one spirit with him. Now, we know that we are already one with the Lord. I mean, 1 John 4, 4 says um, that greater is he that is in you than he that is in Christ Jesus. Colossians 1, 27 talks about um, this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In John 17, 23, Jesus was praying. He says, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfect in one, and the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So he says, I am in you, Father, you are in me, I am in them. I am uh, greater is he that is in you, Christ in us. So we know he's already in us. But what the Passion Translation is bringing out by, by saying that he who joins himself to the Lord, they are bringing out the experience of that oneness, the experience of that oneness. How do we experience this oneness? Well, Philemon 6 tells us how. It, it says that the, the way we experience um, this oneness um, is through a fellowship with the attributes of Christ. It's through acknowledging what is in Christ and in us. You see, the word to join ourselves to the Lord or to be joined to the Lord is the Greek word um, kalao, which means to unite, to knit, to weld together, to mingle, to join, uh, the making of two into one. What image does that connote? It's the image of fellowship, isn't it? That, that he said to Philemon. is the image of fellowship. This is how we experience the manifestation of that oneness we have with the Lord. It is through fellowship with the truth. Now remember, the key word in Philemon 6 is that word acknowledgement. Acknowledgement. He says, the fellowship of your faith will become powerful. The communion of your faith will become powerful as through the acknowledgement of every good thing in us in Christ. The word acknowledgement 
is the Greek word epignosis. Uh, it literally means higher knowledge, a higher knowledge. Uh, gnosis or, or gnosko is a type of knowledge, uh, not a knowledge about something. It is not being able to um, memorize scripture and knowing about Jesus. No, gnosko really speaks about a kind of knowledge that creates a relationship between the seeker and the object that is sought. Uh, another good work for Ginosko could be experience. It's experiential knowledge. You know, Paul praying in Philippians 3 verse 10 says, my desire is to know him, to become intimately acquainted with him, to, to perceive and recognize the wonders of his person in a deeper way. Hallelujah. He knew the Lord, but he said, I, I, I long to know him more. I want to be progressively, intimately acquainted with him. This is the knowledge that creates a relationship. Now Philemon says that the manifestation of our faith will happen through fellowship and acknowledgement, uh, a higher knowledge, fellowship with a higher knowledge. We must embrace this higher knowledge of the attributes in us which are in Christ. We must acknowledge the attributes. We must embrace this higher knowledge of the attributes in us in Christ. It is higher knowledge. In other words, you may not be able to relate to these attributes when you consider them from your perspective of the knowledge of yourself from experience. Okay? It is not the knowledge of yourself that comes from experience. That's why it's a higher knowledge. Um, these attributes are the higher knowledge of God about you. Yeah? You know, a lot of times people talk about who they are. Well, what you're meant to acknowledge is not who you are. What, what you are meant to acknowledge is who God says you are, who you are in Christ. Okay? Um, and he's admonishing us to acknowledge these truths, to embrace this knowledge, to fellowship with this knowledge, to become one with the attributes of the Christ in you and in me through acknowledgement, through acknowledgement. And that is why we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit um, because as we are connected to the vine, the fruit of the Spirit is the natural um, manifestation of the life of the vine. It is the fruit that comes from His divine nature. And, and as we look at the fruit of the Spirit and recognize that this nature is in Christ and Christ is in us, and we acknowledge that this nature is in us, that is the process through which um, that fellowship process, that acknowledgement process, is the process through which there will be a powerful manifestation of that on the outside. And that is called fruit. Amen. So look at um, the book of G uh, Galatians chapter, chapter 5, verse 16. And we're going to read the New Living Translation. Galatians 5, 16. It says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you wouldn't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil. 
which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite to what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us also follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Glory to God. Now, I just want to draw your attention um, to just a couple of things here. You know, when he began to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, he says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Who produces this kind of fruit? The Holy Spirit. He's the vine. We are the branches. The branches bear the fruit. But the fruit is produced by the Holy Spirit. Now, how does he produce this fruit? Okay? We have learned how he produces this fruit. We saw in Philemon 6 that the fellowship of our faith um, becomes effective. It, it manifests powerfully by the acknowledgement of every good thing. So as we acknowledge every good thing in Christ, that is how he produces the fruit in us. Later on in the same passage, he says that those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Now, how do we nail the passion and desires? The same thing, by acknowledging every good thing that is in us in Christ Jesus, okay? And then also it says that when we live in the Spirit, there is no law against these things, okay? You know, the law is actually made for lawbreakers, all right? And, um, you know, and your behavior, your behavior is actually how you know whether, whether or not you are operating in grace, all right? Because like I said earlier, um, anytime the Bible speaks about being strong in the Lord, it is always talking about drawing our strength from him, being strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, taking full advantage of the provision that the Holy Spirit has made to us in Christ. So if you are fully in grace, you will walk in the fruit of the Spirit, being under the law means keeping God's commandments to cause him to love us. You see, keeping God's commandments is what every child of God desires to do. Under the law, 
it was the law um, demonstrated man's need for grace. There wasn't anything wrong with the law. But the law demonstrated that man in his own power and in his own strength could never fulfill the righteous law of God. But thank God for the grace of our Lord in Christ Jesus. Through God's grace, we have now been, been connected to the vine. We have now become branches in the vine. The law of the Lord is now written in our hearts. We have the very nature of God himself. And therefore, we have the capacity to fulfill the desire of the Lord and to fulfill the requirements or to fulfill God's commandments because now we have his grace. So walking in the spirit and, and manifesting the fruit of the spirit is actually a demonstration of somebody walking in the grace of God and not walking under the law because you cannot manifest the fruit of the spirit without the power of God in operation because there's no way you can do this in yourself. They couldn't do it in the Old Testament and you can't do it in the New without the life of God. But thank God we have his life. Keeping the commandments of God is what we want to do. It's a natural way both of showing we love him. Uh, like Jesus said in the book of John, uh, he, he said that those who love him will keep his commandments. Hallelujah, will keep his commandments. Um, and it's understanding how he loves us because as he loves us, we respond to him in love. We respond to him in obedience. As our lives are, are full of the understanding of his love for us, we naturally respond in love for him. And the way we respond in love for him is manifesting his fruit and fulfilling his commandments. So walking in the fruit of the spirit is actually a manifestation of somebody operating in the grace of God. So the more we acknowledge, the more we acknowledge the good things in us in Christ, the more we grow or manifest the fruit of the Spirit. Notice it doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? You see, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, and they're not attributes we desire from God. That God, give me joy, give me peace. No, that's not what they are. The fruit of the Spirit is actually a manifestation of the life of Christ in us. You know, there is no fruit in us, just like there are no fruit in the vine, okay? Um, there's no fruit in us. What is in us is the life of Christ, okay? The fruit is the external manifestation of the life of Christ in us. The reason why you know it's an apple tree is because you see apple fruit on it, okay? There are no apples in the tree, what is in the tree is apple life, okay? And when it produces or manifests itself on the outside, we have apple fruit. In like manner, we don't have fruits in us, okay? We have the life of Christ. And every time that life manifests on the outside, it manifests as fruit. So the more we acknowledge um, every good thing in Christ... The more we see every good thing in Christ, and we see that Christ is in us, and we see that everything that he has, we have, and we are fellowship, we are in one, we are one with him, we are intermingled with him. When we fellowship with our truth, the more we acknowledge, the more we manifest the fruit of Christ in our lives. The more we recognize him and acknowledge every good thing in him, in us, the more we 
the more that nature of Christ manifests as fruit through us. So let's start looking at some of the fruit of the Spirit, or the fruit of the Spirit. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Um, so let's begin to look at these things. And we're not looking at them from the point of view of desiring them. We're looking at them from the point of view of the fact that we have that nature in us. And this is what that nature produces. Um, uh, so when people experience us, this is what they are experiencing from us. We need, to, we need to interrogate what they look like. And we need to look at them not as external um, things from us, but we look at them as the fruit of the life in us. Uh, and, and, and therefore, as we acknowledge every good thing in us in Christ, that is what we see we are. We are embracing a higher knowledge of who we are. This is the truth of who we actually are. Discount who you think yourself to be. That is not in line with who you truly are. And fellowship with this higher knowledge of who you really are in God. Let's look at love today. You know, I'll define love as having a desire for others to do well regardless of their response to you. Having a desire for others to do well regardless of their response to you. You know, in John 15, 15, we see this in Christ. I mean, we see so many different verses about this. God is love, the Bible says. You know, in John 3, 16, the Bible says, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, um, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Uh, Romans 8 speaks about the fact that the one who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? So that desire for others to do well, in, 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 regardless of their response to you, and it's not just a desire that is separate from action. Um, it's a desire that compels you to action. It compels you to great sacrifice for others, um, regardless of their response to you. In John 15, that I asked you to, to us to refer to, um, verse 15 says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things I've heard from my Father I have made known um, to you. Um, you know, God has demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we had sins. That is the demonstration of love. Love is the desire for others to do well. It's your action on behalf of others for their progress. Um, this love is the, is the God kind of love. It's, it's, it's agape, which is self-given. It seeks the other person's highest good. You know, the love chapter in the Bible is 1 Corinthians. Well, there are many love chapters, actually. But one that is commonly referred to as a love chapter is 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. To, uh, the whole of 1 Corinthians 13, but I'll read verses 4 to 7. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It, it speaks about love. It says, love is patient and love is kind. Love is not jealous 
or boastful. You know, as we read these things, understand that God is love and Christ is in you. And as we read these things, we, we, we begin to embrace them as who we are and who he is in us. That is the nature of Christ. That is the nature he demonstrated. And that is the same nature that he carries on the inside. As the Father has life in himself and has given the Son to have life in himself, um, uh, and he that has the Son has life. This is the same life that we have. This is the same nature that we have. This is who you are. It says love is patient. So you are patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. When you start seeing attributes of jealousy springing up on the inside of you, begin to acknowledge, begin to see who you are in Christ. That's not who I am. This is who I am. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Now, as we look at these things, you begin to recognize that some of these things are humanly impossible, and that's okay because they are humanly impossible. Um, but these things are the divine nature, and that is why we can manifest this kind of fruit because we abide in him. And as we acknowledge who we are in Christ, as we acknowledge, you see, transformation is the work of the Spirit. The Spirit produces this in us. But we must, uh, as 2 Corinthians 3, 18 says, we must gaze, we must fix our gaze upon him. Uh, and uh, as Philemon 6 says, we must acknowledge, we must embrace this higher truth, higher knowledge about who we truly are. Okay? So it says, I'll just highlight a few things. It says it's not rude. It's not, not rude. Some, some, translations say, some translations say it's not arrogant. Uh, some translations say it doesn't act unbecomingly. You see, when the love of God is in manifestation, it never acts in an immature way. It always acts in a way that is appropriate for the situation. Love is not immature. Love always acts in a way that is appropriate for the situation. Lo love keeps no record of wrongs. It keeps no record of wrongs. We must acknowledge this, that the nature of God keeps no record of wrongs. The Bible says that the East is from the West. The Lord keeps our iniquities away from us. You know, a few months ago, we were talking about, uh, about the, the power of the blood, and we talked about the goat um, that is released um, at Yom, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and, and, and the goat, you know, um, goes to Zetzel, a place that will never be remembered. That is the nature of love. Um, the forgiveness of love is complete, and we must acknowledge this. We must look at this. We must look at it and acknowledge it and, and begin to declare that this is who we are um, because you cannot acknowledge without declaration. You are coming into oneness, into fellowship with this knowledge, with this knowledge, this is who I am. It's not just, it's just, just rec recognizing it and recording it in a journal. It's much more than that. It's, it's a fellowship with it. It's a fellowship with it. It's an acknowledgement of it. Embracing this, seeing yourself in this light. Imagining yourself doing the impossible, that the impossible with man, but natural with you. Because you are a portal for the manifestation of the higher life of God, of the very nature of God himself. That nature is in you. There is no separation between your spirit and the spirit of Christ. Because as we, as we acknowledge these things, we are, 
We are, we are uniting ourselves with him. We are becoming one with him. So there's no separation between his spirit and your spirit. So in terms of your capability, you have the same capability that he has because you are one with him. It says love never loses faith. Uh, love never loses faith. Uh, it believes all things, uh, some translation says. Uh, this means that love believes in good things that reflects God's love for us. Love believes that there are better things than may appear in a seemingly negative situation. So for instance, love wouldn't believe a scandalous rumor. Instead, it will search out what is true about an individual. You know, um, I'm reminded of something that the Lord did, which... Um, which just demonstrates the nature of love, and that is the nature in us. You know, in, uh, in Luke 22, verse 31, uh, this is just before, um, before he goes to the cross, after he's been betrayed. You know, he speaks to Peter in verse 31 of Luke 22. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you uh, like wheat. But I have pleaded um, in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith shall not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, uh, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. That you, you will deny three times that you even know me. Now, can you just imagine the scenario? We know in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, the Lord... Um, you know, he was, he, the, the, the onslaught of darkness uh, was against his soul. He sweat um, like tears of blood. Um, you know, uh, there was a lot of, uh, uh, you know, there was a lot of, in the spirit, the, the, the weight of the sins of the world was upon him. And he, he admonished his disciples to pray with him. And they all fell asleep. Uh, he, he, he admonished them several times and they all, they all fell asleep. They, he needed their support and they didn't give it to him. Now, now imagine the Lord by the gift of the word of knowledge knowing that, that Peter was going to deny him. He was going to betray him at a most critical time. Yet, in the midst of that knowledge, rather than him being angry, his response was to pray for Peter. His response was to give Peter hope uh, and saying that, Peter, you're going to do this thing, uh, um, but I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you. And when you've repented, strengthen your brethren. And then farther down the line, after he actually betrays the Lord and, and Jesus dies and is resurrected, uh, and on resurrection morning, when Mary Magdalene married the mother of Jesus uh, and some other um, uh, disciples went to the tomb and he wasn't there, in Mark 16, uh, verse 6, we see the angel speaking to them. He said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they have laid him. But go tell the disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee, that there you will see him as he said to you. Can you imagine how Peter felt when he actually fulfilled what Jesus did and, um, and betrayed the Lord? I mean, he, that circumstance demonstrated to Peter how weak he actually was. And it demonstrated the, the, the weakness of his heart. Can you imagine how disappointed he was at himself? 
Um, in fact, he almost he backslid. He gave up on on uh, essentially the ministry because it was Peter um, that that um, advocated that they go fishing before they saw they knew that Jesus was raised from the dead. And 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 if you read um, that account, you would see that um, in the book of John, you will see that it was like, well, he's dead, he's gone. There's no point. Let's go fishing. Um, but can you imagine how he felt when the the ladies came to him and said? We saw angels today, and the angels mentioned your name, Peter, because they said, go to the disciples and Peter, and Peter. That was such a validation. You know, that is the love of God. That is the love of God. Love, love believes. Love believes um, the best. Love always focuses on restoration. It looks at people through the lens of who they were created to be in Christ, not what they are currently manifesting. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, just before verse 17, where it talks about um, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. In verse 15, speaking about the Lord Jesus, the Apostle Paul says that he died for everyone. Everyone say everyone. He died for everyone. So that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. Verse 16 says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. What is Paul saying? He's saying that we don't look at people based on their current manifestation. We look at people based on the fact that Christ died for them. And, and if anyone is in Christ, it becomes a new creation. So we don't evaluate people. Everybody we look at in the world, we look at somebody as either a pre-believer or somebody that Jesus um, lives in. We do not, we do not discount every, anyone. We do not condemn anyone. We don't write off anybody uh, because the power of Christ is able to transform even the most wicked sinner. And Paul was living this out because he used to be Saul of Tarsus. But through the encounter with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, he became transformed into one of the mightiest apostles that ever lived. So love always focuses on restoration. It looks at people through the lens of who they are created to be in Christ, not what they are currently manifesting. If you look at Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly Help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens. And in that way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help somebody, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. So our focus should be on restoration. It should be on help. It should be sharing each other's burdens and weaknesses. You know, I love James uh, chapter 5 that says we should confess our faults to one another and pray for one another that we may be healed. That uh, sharing one another's burdens in prayer, um, lifting each other up in our weaknesses, that is how we obey the law of Christ. You and I are not too important to help somebody because we were not too um, important or we're not, uh, Jesus was not too important to come and die for us. So love, love, love. It says the fruit of the Spirit, the manifestation 
of this nature of God is love. The desire for others to do well. Uh, our extension on behalf of others to do well, regardless of their response to us. Whether they appreciate it or not, it's regardless of our resp their response to us. You know, Jesus demonstrated his love for us in that while we yet sinners, he came and he, he, he paid the ultimate sacrifice. That same Jesus is in us. That same nature that produced that is in us. That same nature in us empowers us to do the same. Begin to acknowledge, acknowledge, acknowledge this good thing in you in Christ. You know, practice is so important. You know, one of the things we said a few weeks ago is that we must practice godliness from the place of understanding. We must practice godliness from the place of understanding. You know, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, it said, solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. You know, as, we, as our eyes open, we see what right and wrong is, not in others, but in ourselves. We are now looking in our hearts and we are seeing the nature that is in Christ, the nature of Christ, and we're embracing who we are in him. This is the nature of Christ. So this week, your assignment, therefore, is to be very conscious and aware of opportunities to love those inside your family, to love the people you meet on the street, to love those who hate you, and to love people who don't like you. That is your assignment this week as you acknowledge who you are. Acknowledge who you are in Christ. God bless you. Have yourself a wonderful, wonderful week. And don't forget to check out our website for details on our book club. God bless you.